Welcome to Human Stories with Jill Hazard Rowe, where we explore humanity in all of its realms. We are so excited, honored, and so happy that Valerie Nicole Green is joining us in the studio today. Welcome. Thank you. All the way from St. Louis, St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis, Missouri. She flew in just for this, right? Absolutely, and, <laughs> and affirmation. And everything else going on this yeah. weekend. We, anyway. we tried this once before. Yes, yeah. yes, we've been, you know, flirting a little bit with each other yeah. for this moment, and yeah. so I'm so glad the stars has lined up, have yeah. lined up. I'm just, we're going to get right into it, um, Valerie. I'm going to turn it over to you, and feel free to just start your story with our Human Stories audience. Okay. Um, so I reserve the right to tell the story in at least 14 different versions. Oh. If Joseph Smith had 14 different versions, oh. I can have that many versions, too. Absolutely. <laughs> so I like it. It changes a lot over time as I remember new things or just whatever happens to be important right. that time. Right. You know, I've changed, and so some things are different for me. Um, I have a very typical story for a transgender woman. Um, I've known since I was a child, um, but I grew up in a very, uh, I was recently heard that Lubbock, Texas is the second most conservative city in the United States Okay. after Provo. <laughs> so wow. it's, it's not at all unusual that I would not have had an opportunity to transition as a child. Um, so I look back on that and I understand more about that at the time. Do you remember, um, like, how old you were when you had that first thought? Like, Oh, I was four. I, oh, I, wow. I remember distinct things from when I was four years old. Um, my mother was a single mother raising two boys, and um, we would go to the laundromats on the weekends, and I would dress in her clothes. And they thought it was funny at the time. It was yeah, cute. right. As I got older, it was a problem, mm. right? So uh, she, when you say older, like, eight, nine, okay. ten, okay, she would. Well, my brother would turn me in. <laughs> mm. Yeah, she was like, she was like, um, he's wearing that again. <laughs> Did you feel like you had to sneak around, or were you oh, just would, openly confident, was, like this is just me, and it's so fun to dress up? No, it was sneaking around. Okay, I, I found an old corset of hers, and I would dress in that. Under my clothes. Okay. And we'd be playing family games, and my brother would touch my back, and he would like, oh, it's happening again. Um, I remember sitting in a Whataburger. I love Whataburger. Mm. Sitting in a Whataburger with my mother. Texan. Sitting there reminding me again that I can't do these things. I remember her buying the book, um, So You Want to Raise a Boy, by one of the Mormon leaders, and reading parts of that to me. She was trying to figure out what she was doing wrong. Um, I don't think she had any concept of gender non-conforming. Mm. So this was in, this would have been in like the very early 70s, late okay. 60s, early 70s. I was born in 64. Okay. So my, you know, six, seven years old, we're talking about 1970, 71. And to be fair to your mom, I mean, there wasn't a lot of information for just the general public, right? Oh, no. I mean, yeah. it wasn't just a church or an organization. It was right. pretty much non-existent for... This was a time, I remember going to a meeting, I think it was a Relief Society group of women that got together and she took me to it. I thought just to, because she didn't have anything to do with me, but I remember them talking about 
the gaze, oh. you know. And I look back on it and I think, I think she was trying to give me a message that night. What do you think that message was? How bad it was, you know, mm. how. She was trying to the, scare you a little bit. Version. Yeah, I think so. But it didn't do anything. I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. <laughs> so I didn't pay much attention to it. Right. Um, then I, when I was in th- third grade, I finally convinced her that I didn't need to go to daycare after school. I could just come home. Yeah, you're an adult, really, yeah, in third grade. Practically. <laughs> I mean, I, I, did, I got up in the morning, she went to work, and I got myself dressed and went to school. Except for the days when I wanted to skip school so I could watch Hogan's Heroes. Oh. <laughs> so Hogan's Island, hello. Yeah. So I would do that occasionally. <laughs> but And then I would come home um, after school. I would rush home. It was time to watch Lost in Space. Mm-hmm. I would run to the kitchen. I would get a quarter cup of sugar, pour it on a plate, and eat a cup of sugar while I watched Lost in Space. <laughs> and uh, then, you are my kind of girl. Yeah. And then I would go into her closet and get her boots. Oh. So she had fabulous boots. Oh, because you wanted to be on Lost in Space. You wanted to be not Penny. It would have, um, what was her name? What's her name? Was it Judy? Judy, yeah. Oh. You know, I yeah. I don't know that that connection has ever been made, but I think you're probably <laughs> absolutely right. When you said right. Boots, I'm like thinking of her. Oh, yeah. Now I, now I'm thinking about all the cartoons I used to watch. Penelope Pitstop. Remember Penelope Pitstop? I don't remember Penelope. That was like with the wacky racers. Oh. And Penelope Pitstop, she was svelte, you know, and she had that pink hat and a pink racing helmet. Yeah, darn. Wow. Sorry, I, you know. Memories Unlocked. Yeah, Memories Unlocked <laughs> so, by Jill Hazard Rowe. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, I, would, I would do that, but then I would go and I would get her boots, and the best part was being in the, that time frame, maybe I don't know if it was popular or if it was just my mother that was doing it, but she wore a lot of wigs. Mm, yeah, my mom and too. And so I had access to wigs, mm-hmm. and I had big feet, so my mother's feet and my feet almost the same size so I would get caught in her clothes more than once when she came home and I would I didn't get undressed in time so yeah it's what's been going on my entire life so you wanted to go home I'm I'm hearing this I'm thinking that was probably like an hour or two of just safety like where you could go home and be by yourself and explore your identity and that could be I don't I don't know that I ever thought of it that but you, way. You sound but like yeah. you weren't very good at changing back. <laughs> Why would I be in a hurry for that? Yeah, I well, like it. Yeah. I like it. So when, when your mom would find you dressed like this or your brother, what would happen? It would be, it's kind of cute. My brother was three years younger than me. Mm. So he, he was younger brother. I didn't care what he thought. Mm, good. Um, but if he would, he would turn me in if, if he found something and wow. I would get another little discussion. Um, I remember she, I, at one point she put us in the Big Brothers program, Oh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, mm-hmm. and I was disappointed in my, I, I, we had a, a nice guy that was my big brother, but um, he actually went to my mother and said, um, he's uh, too well adjusted and I need to find someone who needs more help. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, well... Screw You're you. welcome. <laughs> she made him tell me. She wouldn't tell him for me. Oh. You know, my brother, my brother had a much better uh, big brother, and so I just never participated again. I'm like, no, I'm done with that. 
So, so your big brother didn't want to like have a relationship with you or No, I well, I don't know. The story was that I was too um well adjusted. Too well adjusted. I can um, see that. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, fine. Yeah, whatever. I'll yeah. just go home. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone go, go home. away and I'll go home. Yeah. And watch I mean, you mm-hmm. had to watch the Brady bunch. Oh yes. Okay. Oh. Brady scared bunch, for a Gilligan's minute. Island. I loved watching Petticoat Junction. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I look back and I go, yeah, these were all of the the female characters that, and at the time you don't realize it. You don't realize that it's not that you're attracted to them so much as that you identify with them, mm-hmm. but you don't know it at the time. Right. So I, I've got all these memories and experiences that sometimes I go back and just like, you're like, oh, you know, the loss in space. Yeah. Like Gilligan's Island, yeah. like I wanted to be the movie star, and yeah. I and I told my sister she Marianne. was Marianne. Marianne. <laughs> and now yeah. looking back, like Mar- Marianne was adorable. <laughs> she absolutely was. Yeah. Oh so, gosh. Yeah. So yeah, so I went through that throughout my childhood. Um, all different kinds of scenarios like that. Um, getting caught. Um, it seems like you weren't really, you didn't really care if you got caught. I. Probably not having an understanding of what was going on, mm-hmm. you know. So I know that I was different, and I knew that this was good in my head. Mm-hmm. But all the messages that I got associated with it were not good. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a bad thing. You have to quit doing this. I I so. don't know if you feel comfortable with this, Valerie, but, like, what? I mean, this same lecture must have happened over and over and over, right, with your mom when you were young. What was the, like key message she was trying to tell you i think the message i got you know now this is this is in a 10 11 year olds yeah what you heard yeah because after after a certain point you just like don't just don't ever let her catch you again um but for me it was just like you're a boy and you need to not do this so i can grant her that um she didn't shame me in any way in fact, years later, um, I mean, many years, we'd been married, we moved to Saipan for a short period, and my mother went with us, and this was in 2000, so we're talking 30 years later. Yeah. And a couple of years before that, she'd asked me and my brother a question. She said, was I a good mother? Um, and would we have wanted her to do anything different? And of course, at the time, I was just like, "Oh no, you were great, mom. We were we were happy kids, and no no, no big deal, and we have no complaints." And then we were moving back from Saipan, and it was a rough time because we were moving back because the job had disappeared and it was a mess. And so I'm talking to my mother, and I said, "You know, years ago, you asked me that question. Um, I said, there's one thing I wish had been different." Um, and I told her that I wish she'd understood that I was, well, at the time I was using the term cross-dresser because I didn't think I was ever going to transition. I said, do you remember those talks we used to have, um, you know, that I was a cross-dresser and um, that's the one thing I wish had been different is that um, rather than trying to fix me, you had tried to find what made me happiest so, and um, 
So you know, I, at some point, I revealed to her that I was a crossdresser, and she had problems with it. How, she, how old were you when you? Well, I think I told her officially mm-hmm. that I was labeling it because she knew all about it as a kid, right? Right. She watched. But it. she assumes it's all gone. I've, I've right. gotten married. I've got kids, and I've got a career. Okay. So, so she assumes that things have been set you on track. Moved on. Yeah. yeah. And I guess, I guess it was in the very late nineties. Mm-hmm. Eventually, told her, but it was long distance. And she called me and she goes, yeah, I went and talked to my bishop about it. I'm like, her bishop in Texas, and I'm living in Missouri. Mm-hmm. But she needed to go check it with her bishop about it. Mm-hmm. To see if what you said was true. Yeah, of course, <laughs> I mean, right? You yeah. Know, what's going to happen there to me you go. and stuff? And it took her a couple of years, and eventually I wrote her a note, and I said, look, this is who I am, and if you can't accept it, then we'll just never speak about it again. You know, I'm not going to cut everything else off, but we'll just never talk about this subject again. Because um, I could do that. I was able to compartmentalize well enough to say we can have all the relationship that we need to have, mm-hmm. and we can just take this part of it and set it aside. So after that, I got a, a letter from her. Um, but I think it said something like... Um, I don't understand it, but I recognize what kind of a person you are. You're still a good father, a good husband, all these things. Um, so I can, she didn't say the word tolerate. I'm not sure how she, I can't remember how she described it. It's a long time ago. Yeah. But it was, it was I can accept this about yeah. you. Yeah, a level of acceptance yeah. as she yeah. watched you you know, go through life with such dignity and all the good qualities you want a child to have. So, yeah, so that was uh, better. Mm -hmm. And so that was, I was like, okay, mom's mom's cool with this part. Well, I don't know what cool with it, but. Did you, did you, Valerie, really feel you were just a cross-dresser or was that just where you could take it at that time? Oh, I knew that I would prefer to live life as a girl. Mm-hmm. I've always known that. Um, you know, over periods of time, I've understood that I actually always was and just wasn't allowed to present right. that way. But um, as I've learned more about myself, but um, yeah, at the time I was married, I had the kids, I, I felt tremendous sense of obligation. Can we can we rewind? That's sort of a big part of your okay. story. Okay. Um, how old were when you got married? Did your oh. um, spouse know at the time that you were identified as, as a cross-dresser? Yeah. Um, no, Robin definitely did not know that. Okay. <laughs> I don't think anybody was allowed to know that at that point. Okay. Um, we were married at 18. Wow. Yeah, so yeah, I graduated high school in May. And we got married in August. Wow. So, yeah, there we, there was um, there may have been some premarital dalliances that, again, I'm a very um, tended to be a very rules based person. Mm-hmm. So I broke that rule, so I had to follow this other one that went along with it. Oh no. Um, but I also have a very strong sense of loyalty and obligation. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. She, and what happened was she told me she was pregnant. She was not pregnant. Oh. We actually had never actually done anything that would have gotten her pregnant, but she thought she was. She thought if you kissed. And so yeah. I'm like, <laughs> and so 
that was interesting because we told both of our parents at the same time. That you were married or having a child? That we were pregnant and therefore getting married. We just told them, this is the way things are. This is the way I do things. I, I'm like, okay, I've decided how things are going to no go. No pregnancy test or anything. You're just going to oh, no. go with that no. information. <laughs> oh, because she swore that she had had several home tests and they were positive. Oh. I have no idea what actually happened, but her mother took her the next day to get a real test and found out, no, she wasn't pregnant. Mm. After <laughs> so, after you were married or before? After we had told our parents that we oh, were getting okay. married. Okay, but you'd still decided that you wanted to be together. Um. Yeah, we did. Um, but look, well, and again, I'm a, I'm a very, I'm an obligation person. I have, by doing this and announcing this, I've obligated myself for my rest of my life. Mm. That's the way my mind worked. Mm-hmm. And did, did it work that way? Um, if I can be so bold, um, did you ever read the miracle of forgiveness? We were actually assigned to read parts of that, and but for not for the reasons that were so awful in the yeah that section of the book um although be, as through reading it i ran across that and i'm like oh this is even worse than i thought I, I'm, obviously i'm doomed obviously <laughs> i've done all of, i'm all of these things described in this cha- chapter on homosexuality so that explains all the other worst things that have happened ever in my life oh you know? wow that's um, awful i'm so sorry yeah. i i also read it as a teenager and it really uh-huh. messed me up yeah so I still have a copy, but I keep it um, just so I can look at it and go, yeah, this is not. I know. I know <laughs> that people are collecting and burning, but I'm like, well, I'm going to keep one copy so that in 100 years, my pa starting go, oh, maybe she wasn't so crazy. There's proof. Look at this book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I keep that. But, yeah, we went through that. Um, yeah, we got married at 18. Um, I was uh, I was 19. It was 11 months later <laughs> we had our first child. Wow. August, no, maybe it was more than 11 months. We were married in August, and Jordan was born in September, I think. I have to go look him up. I have five but very, kids. Very shortly after, yeah, within yeah. a year of your marriage, you yeah, had a, the, a the, child. Yeah. yeah, we had all of our we had all of our children. We have five children. Oh, okay. Um, the first two came really close together. Then there was a five-year gap, and then number three, then a five-year gap, and then two more. Oh, wow. I like the five-year gap. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, nice. Yeah. So you were married a long time. We were married for 34 years. I'm widowed. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. No, she passed away in 2016. Okay. That's that's a whole different adventure. It was, there were good times in the marriage, but there were lots of very rough times. Um, Robin was a borderline personality disorder. Um, with lots of other uh, things going on that were, it made it for a rough lot of our marriage. So you were together up until she passed away. We were, yeah. Now she was informed of this. Actually, we'll tell the story about how I finally came to accept myself. Yeah, I didn't know if you decided to transition after she passed or uh, were missing details in the yeah, marriage. I, I did make the decision to do it after she passed. Okay. But I wanted to long before. Yeah. And so one of the things that happened, she and I were having some rocky things going on, so I I wanted to go get counseling. She did not want to get counseling. There's nothing wrong with her. <laughs> mm. And um, 
So I found a counselor. She had she read requirements. It had to be an LDS counselor. Oh yes. But they had to not live in our stake. Oh. And it was only going to be couples counseling and never individual counseling. So we went to the couples counseling, and the counselor. We we found a wonderful woman who worked with us, and she was she had far more liberal approach to mental health than you would normally expect from say an LDS social services. Yeah. Well, I've heard some some good stories about LDS social services people and how they've. I think it, I think kind of it's catching it up. up but yeah. I mean, during this time period, I'm assuming this is about twenty years ago. This yeah, this is in the late nineties. So yeah, yeah so to 20, be, 25 years. Ago. Get a pro- progressive therapist. Good yeah. on you. Yeah. So that was really good, and she put us into individual therapy, and so I learned over time that most of my therapy sessions were how to live with my wife. Whereas most of hers were how to live as herself. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so in one of um, our sessions, individual sessions, I was given a homework assignment. And one thing, I was very, I was, I suppressed all my emotions. You know, I was like a fan of Spock, right? Mm. Very stoic at all times. I could be funny, I could be a clown but nothing serious, nothing emotional, other than humor. And so my therapist, her name is Jo, um, she gave me an assignment. She goes, we need to get you out of your head and into your heart. Um, So she said, this week, um, you have to go home. You have to Well, here's the question she was working on. She said, most people, when you meet them, they'll tell you what they do. They don't tell you who they are. Okay. So you meet someone, I'm an engineer, I'm a doctor, I'm a stay-at-home mom, I, whatever things are going on. I like to go play football or tennis or bat, whatever. I, the things that you do, people never tell you who they are. And so she said, I want to know who you are. And I'm like, okay. But, and here's the other part about it. I couldn't just come and tell her. I had to create something that told her that. And um, she said, you can use words, but you can't write just prose. If you're going to use words, it has to be lyrics or poetry or something like that. Or you can make something you have to do something to get out of your head and into your out out of the into the feeling part to tell her who I was. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine, that should be easy to do, <laughs> right? I can do anything. But I left that um, meeting and got in my car and just drove. I'm like, I don't know who I am. What am I supposed to do? And then it hit me. I'm like, crap. No, that's not it. I'm like, yep, you know darn well this is what you have to do. And I was like, great. I have to tell her that I am, I have to tell somebody, another human, that I am. At the time, I didn't have the word transgender yet. Um, and I was still thinking cross-dresser because I wasn't thinking that transition was ever possible. Um, 
although I knew we'll get we'll get back to the my eleven year old self in a minute. But anyway, so I I um knew what I had to do. So I drove to Kmart <laughs> and I walked in and I bought this black sparkly cocktail kind of dress and I bought some makeup and I bought some hosiery and took it home. And at the time, I was working out of town, so I was only at home on the weekends. I took the video camera. I took all of this stuff. I went to work, and during the week, I would try to figure out how to put makeup on and work on. This is this is the first time you'd ever allowed yourself to do like makeup and without just being sneaking around. It. Yeah, this, this, yeah. So it was all about me learning about this because I wanted to make a videotape telling my story. And um, so I did that for a couple of weeks. And then the family was going to visit. We were in St. Louis at this point. Her family was in Kansas City. So we were all going to be going to Kansas City, but I'm like, I have to stay behind for a couple of days. <clears throat> and so I did a this little fashion show type thing in front of the video camera. Uh, I'm remembering it now. The funny part was her best friend came over to our house and knocked on the door while I was doing this. Your therapist or your wife's? My wife's best friend. Okay. Came over to the house to ask me a question, and I was in the middle of this fashion show in my living room. So I'm, like, hiding to make sure she can't see me through a window. Oh, gosh. Anyway, I finish this. I make this tape. And so the tape is... I still have it somewhere. The tape was that little fashion show, which is horrendous. I bet it. I want to see it. <laughs> I have to find it again. And then I sat in front of the camera and just told my story. And I need to go back and find that story because that, that, that included all the stuff about me being raised by my aunts and my grandmothers and strong women in my life. And me not knowing where this came from. Was it because of who I was around and not having a father in my life? You know, what was the cause of all of this? And I sit there and I tell that story, apparently most of which I've forgotten. I have to go find this videotape myself. And But I, I basically explain this is who I am. And so I finish it. And at my next therapy session, I go in and I I call the head and I said, just have a, have a VCR ready. VCRs, remember those? <laughs> I remember. So And your camera was huge. It was huge. <laughs> So we, uh, I walked in, I said, here's the videotape, and we watched it together. I didn't tell her anything. Um, that was scary, really scary. I knew she was Mormon, so I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, we finished the tape, and she looked at me, and she said, thank you for sharing that. Now we have to find your style. And that was it. I was I was ready for for shame and judgment and um, but it wasn't there. It was just like thank you for telling me who you are. And now let's help present you to the world. Yeah. So she was given like a baseline. This yeah. is Valerie. Yeah. And now she could help you navigate. Yeah. 
And so um, our next couple of sessions were all about, um, I told her, I said, okay, now that I've done this, now I have to tell Robin. Sense of obligation, right? You know, now that this, now that I've established this as a fact. Yeah, and up to this point, Robin knew nothing. She knew nothing about this, right? Okay. And so this was we've been married. Um, we've been married for fourteen years at this point. So um, we're working on how to tell Robin and understanding it, and so she's preparing Robin to understand parts of this. You know, kind of kind of working the way into it. And I'm working about how this is going to happen because I'm going through all my mind because I have been on, in contact with people online back in the old Usenet groups. Do you remember use, did you ever use Usenet groups? <laughs> I didn't, but I'm oh. not as cool as you. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, was, I knew some people online, like from Canada and Georgia that I bumped into, not Mormons, but just people in the LGBTQ community that I was still new to. Um, so I was getting some understanding of what life could be like. And so I was fully aware of the probability of losing job and family and community, all the, all the losses that typically go with someone who people discover is transgender. So I'm trying to prepare myself for all of that. And also for the fact that Robin might leave me. Um, and unfortunately, also kind of thinking, well, maybe this will make her leave. Again, there were rocky parts to the, to, the, to the marriage. And so we're in the middle of doing that. And then one Sunday morning, at the time, I was executive secretary at church. So I'm there for early okay. morning. Can we explain um, what that is? Yeah. For our audience, it's not LDS so, or Mormon. Yes, so. so an executive secretary works with the bishop very closely and yeah. making appointments, really knows exactly what's going on in the ward. Yeah. Um, sort of the bishop's right arm. And one, of the, and one of the fun things you get to do is attend bishopric meeting. Oh, those are super fun, I've heard. Yeah, yeah they're fun. Um, yeah, in fact, at one point I was a witness in a bishop's court, which was <laughs> not fun. No. Um, but yeah, those are, those are things that you wind up doing. We're in the meeting, and I get a phone call. <clears throat> and it's Robin. And she is mad. She found this other woman's clothes in our house. Uh-oh. And she is livid. And I'm like, it's not what you think. I will come home and I will tell you what's going on, but I promise you it's not what you think. So I said, let me, we're just ending this meeting. I'll come home. Don't even get the kids ready. We'll, we'll, we'll just come home and we'll have this discussion. So I went home and I, told her this was not the way we planned to do it. In fact, we were planning to have this discussion at the very next counseling session. So she doesn't believe me. This is the this is the most complicated ruse anyone has ever come up with to hide the fact that they're having an affair. Right. She told me. <laughs> She's and like, I said, now I, I know you're lying. <laughs> yeah, I promise this is like, I promise I'm just a crossdresser. <laughs> Um, I said, Joe knows. We were getting ready to talk to you about it. We called Joe. And this is Sunday, remember? And so I called Joe, and I said, this is what's happening. And it is causing Robin to... She catastrophized a lot. This is a lot of part of the... A lot of her um, 
mental health issues. So it was it was it was a catastrophe in her mind. And so Joe agreed to meet us. We we drove halfway between our houses, and we took the videotape. Mm. I told the videotape exists, and we get in the car and Joe. And we had a big van at the time, so Joe gets in our van and we sit down and we have a discussion in our van, in the shopping mall parking lot. <laughs> you know, you never know what's going on in a shopping mall parking lot. No, especially on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, people yeah. are crazy. <laughs> People are out and about. Oh, there's no telling. Sorry, I almost spilled my monster drink. Just thinking about what you could do in a parking lot on the Sabbath. <laughs> so we had a discussion, and then and I brought the portable VCR, and uh, they watched the show, they watched the tape that I'd made together. So this was completely new to Robin, and so that meant that we spent several months after that negotiating what this was going to be. And here's the, the thing that I found most interesting. Well, not most interesting, but very interesting. Robin felt an obligation to accept it. Not because she wanted to, but because we were married. I have to do this. But this is part of her, we call it pathology. Everything in her life is something that she had to do. Mm. She so felt like nothing was her choice. Nothing was her choice. This wasn't her choice. She had to do it. And so she never really came to her own terms with it, I don't think. Yeah. But we did negotiate it down to we won't tell the kids until they're older. Um, it won't be public. Um, she did do some things to be helpful. Um, my next birthday was she gave me a she gave me an envelope. She goes, You'll never guess what's in it. And I did the Karnak thing, you know, held it up to my head, and I said, um, doing my Karnak voice, I said, you and me, dinner's in a movie, and both of us in dresses. She goes, how did you know that? I said, because I can read you like a book. <laughs> um, but she was trying to do things, so she was working on right. trying to do some stuff, but it would also then come up later, like this is this awful thing that's happened. Um, so it, it would, it, it would, there was some tolerance that was expressed, but it would also then get used as a weapon. So yeah. anyway, so she was never, I was never going to transition while she was alive. Um, and I, I thought that I never would, and I was still at. Even though I'd gone through the counseling, I was still struggling with um, whether it was the right thing to do. And so I had the spiritual struggle that was still going on. And then I was called to be Elders Quorum president. So again. And that. <laughs> We assume that everyone knows about Mormonism, but right. I'm always hopeful that the Human Stories podcast goes well beyond a religion. Yeah. So um, Elders Quorum president that you were called to is like the head person in charge of like a lot of the men in the ward. Right. The ward is like a congregation, a congregation yeah. mm -hmm. for those that would understand that term. So a pretty important calling. Like, yeah. yep, you're moving people a lot. 
I <laughs> I move people so single handedly sometimes. Yeah. Well, that's your um, job. It was my job. Uh, but so when you get called to this position, they go through a process of setting you apart, a blessing set over your head, hands are laid on your head, and it's typically done by the stake president. And of course, the stake is a is a group of wards, and he's in charge of it all. And everyone all and there's there's often you have the stake president that everyone loves. You know, he's he's godly, he's humble. Mm-hmm. Sometimes not. <laughs> Some, sometimes not. Sometimes not. <laughs> Everybody loved this president. Um, and I accepted the calling. I said I would do it because we don't turn anything down in the church. Oh, no. Right? Well, unless you want to go to hell. Yeah. So um, I and I even expressed some caveats. I'm like, I, I'm more... Um, organizational and structural, mm-hmm. more um, institutional than the spiritual, mm-hmm. always have been. And they were like, that's cool. I said, fine. So I took it. They're like, we don't uh, know what you said, but yeah, you're in. <laughs> so, but I, I remember the day, because they set you apart in elders quorum. We're having the meeting where all the elders are meeting together. And I'm like thinking, this is it this is the moment when he's going to walk up to me and the spirit's going to tell him, you can't do this. And he's going to back away and say, I can't set this person apart in this calling. I was like, I was ready for that. Um, Instead, uh, he put his hands on my head and the first things out of his mouth were... And remember, we just decided how we were going to handle it with our family. He said, you have made all the correct decisions for yourself and your family. And um, I've actually had occasion to discuss that with him years later. Because it turns out um, one of the fellow board members on the Emmaus LGBTQ ministry, he's her cousin. (laughs) And she's like, I want to tell him this story. So she sent him this story, mm-hmm. and he wrote back. He goes, "Yeah, because I was. I'm thinking this is something he always said to everyone, yeah. right?" And he goes, "No, I never had anything like that. But I, I had no idea why I would have said that. But I'm just. It was in that chair at that moment when I'm like, okay, I'm good with God. I've never questioned whether I was good with God with this after that ever." From then on, it was just um, relationship with the institution of the church, relationship with people around me, but I'm cool with God. Yeah. Not a problem. Um, so that that's how I came to the spiritual settling of this. I'm like, wherever I go, I'm good. And whether I transition, whether I'm a cross-dresser, identify as a cross-dresser, um, I'm good. You know, now it's just... Negotiating relationships here on Earth. Transition. So we agreed that I would never transition. I don't think I ever would have while she was alive. Okay, so but that you made that yeah. in your marriage. Obviously, it wasn't going to end. But there, it sounds right. like there was a lot of negotiating and rules. There were negotiating for both of you how you could yes. do certain things. Yeah. So, which wasn't necessarily pleasant, but at least I was getting to express myself. Right. Um, 
So go back to 11-year-old me. I'm an avid tennis player. Mm-hmm. And so I'm reading, um, although never competitive, it was more of friends and stuff, but I was really interested in it. And so I'm reading, I think, Tennis Magazine. It may have been Tennis Magazine or whatever it was. It was some story that I picked up about um, Dr. Renee Richards, who was the first and to this date, as far as we know, only um, transitioned transgender tennis player in women's tennis. And I remember reading that article. I was 11 or 12. And reading that article was where I first learned that transition, physical and medical transition, was possible. And I knew when I read it, this is what I want in my life. But I just set it aside because it wasn't one of the rules I was following. It wasn't my life. It wasn't part of my obligations. You, you knew it was a possibility, but you didn't give yourself permission to have it as a possibility for Valerie. I, I couldn't give myself permission, and I didn't um, know how it would ever happen. Yeah. You know, so it, it, it was... It was something I really wanted, but considered to be an impossibility for me. Right. So that's how long I've known about transition and waiting for it. So it only took another 43 years. <laughs> so, Sometimes, um, you know, it takes yeah, a long time. Us humans are, yeah. Yeah, in fact, after we, um, after my wife passed away, um, I was still, I made a decision at that point. Um, I had told one of my, I told my oldest son that I was a cross-dresser because I was going to an event in Chicago. That And I, I'm like, he was watching my kids. At this time, my wife was a travel nurse, so she's out of town. I had called her and said, I want to go to this thing. And really, all I want to hear from you, hopefully, is have a nice time. And she heard that message and was pleasant about it and told me to have a nice time. <clears throat> um, so I went to this, but in, in preparation for it, my son was going to be watching the younger kids. So I told him that I was a cross-dresser. And of course, we had the typical conversation, are you gay? Are you this? And he had no idea what was going on. Yeah. Although my kids tend to be fairly liberally minded, but he didn't know. So I told him, meaning to only tell him. So this was in 2015, something like that. No, it would have been earlier, a couple of years before, before that. Anyway, so the next day I get a phone call from my wife. She goes, Rebecca, who's my youngest daughter, just called me. She knows. I'm like, Oh. oh, did your child tell all the other kids? He did not, but she was sleeping. She was pretending to be asleep in the living room. Oh, they're <laughs> sneaky, those they're kids. They're sneaky, and so she overheard it. Mm. So she called. She didn't overheard it. She <clears throat> was eavesdropping. <laughs> so she called mom the next day and said, um, I and, think I heard something I wasn't supposed to hear. And how old was Rebecca at this point? Twelve-ish. Okay, that's 12-ish. old enough, yeah. yeah. So she calls mom and says, I think I heard someone I'm supposed to hear. And so I sat down and talked with her. And Rebecca has always been my most liberal child. It wasn't going to be an issue. I sat down and talked with her about it. And she was like, it's cool. We're fine. 
So those are the two. The oldest and the youngest ones knew at that point. I didn't tell the others. Um, <clears throat> until Robin passed away. And when Robin passed away, at that point, I still had my oldest son with his family living with us. Downstairs, wife. So we got seven people living, eight people living in the house again. That's why my two oldest sons were still living at home. My oldest daughter was not. I got them together and I said, look, I know you've always known that I was weird. So we're going to talk about exactly how weird I am. I said, I told him I was a cross-dresser, and I said, I will no longer, now that Robin's gone, I will no longer not be myself in my own home. So when I'm at home, I will dress however I want. Um, and I started doing more social things as Valerie. Um, the middle son... I love your name, by the way. Oh, thank you. We'll get to, we can get to his origin story. Okay. And my middle son, uh, he looked at me and he goes, yeah, do what you want. <laughs> Who cares, Mom? Yeah. Yeah, you are weird. Whatever. The um, <laughs> youngest son who um, always has to be in the know, mm -hmm. he looked, goes, well, I already knew. Oh, yeah. No? I knew first. <clears throat> yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, he had, he had seen me dressing in some... I had bought some women's workout clothes. I would go walking late at night. Okay. You know? So he'd see me come in, mm -hmm. but just in, it was just different clothes. It wasn't makeup or hair or anything like that. So he he said I already I already knew, and I said, well, you, I think I said I, you think you knew, but there's a lot more to it than you ever thought. Yeah. So I told them, but I didn't tell my oldest daughter because she wasn't living there. And so now all of the kids know except her, or so I thought. Of course, my son did eventually tell her. At this point, we have texting, right? At this point, we have texting. <laughs> nothing's nothing's a secret very long anymore. No. So um, then in 2018, now at this point, I had the kids, they're all at home now. I, I went and bought season tickets to all the arts things in town uh the big so you can dress up yeah i could dress up Ooh. and so i went to all i went to the opera house i didn't go to opera but the opera house all the different plays the venues for plays and things yeah with the um story that i need to be more culturally aware of course of course of course so i bought all of those and that was valerie time i would go as valerie um and that was all I thought it was going to be. I was, my social life was now going to be as Valerie, but my work life and church life was still going to be. Yeah, so you're dressing pretty much how you want to at home. Yeah. You're going out so yeah. you can express Valerie. Yeah. But at church yeah. and work, you're still... Still, yeah. So I'm. I'm. we, we went to a play. A friend of mine that I used to work with, and it, um three other women, we all go to a play. And one of the friends that she brought was a gender um, studies professor, I think. It's hazy. But, something. Yeah, something. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. And, um, but she called me, my friend called me like two days later, 
And she said, yeah, my friend said you're probably the most well-adjusted cross-dresser she's ever met. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's nice. Thank you. Yeah, <clears throat> thank you for that thank compliment. And, but we'd had a conversation going to dinner after the play, mm-hmm. and someone had asked me if I'd ever transition. I said, no, I'll probably always live a dual life. And that was in the spring of 2018. In June of 2018, I'm sitting at in the amphitheater. Um, it's called the Muni in Forest Park in St. Louis, Missouri. Big 15,000 feet amphitheater. I'm sitting there watching a play. It's intermission time. And I just looked around and I said, this is who I am. This is what's right, and I can't do it anymore. Um, Now, I've always been fortunate. I never went through the more serious mental health crises that so many transgender people do. I was never suicidal. Um, I was never depressed over this. I was I was always able to just set it aside and go, that's something that I want, but I can't have right now. Um, I'm sure it affected me in ways that I still don't even recognize, but right. I didn't have... Um, I wasn't using all of my energy to fight for my survival. Yeah. Um, I was using my energy to provide for my family and right. all that stuff. And so I just pushed that aside. Um, but that was the night that I'm like, no, we're we're done. Um, had some conversations with some friends about hormones. I made that decision, and I went in and talked to my bishop. And I walked into the bishop, and I said, hey, bishop. <laughs> Did he have any clue up to this point, or is this just new clue. information? Wow. Not a clue. A relatively <laughs> newly called bishop. So this is, he's, you know, this is his, his. Yeah baptism by fire yeah he's like what have i got myself into here? but i just walked in and i said here's the story mm-hmm. i'm transgender i'm transitioning fully socially on january 1 2019 and i just want to know will i still be welcome here that was it and um I made a point. I didn't go in to confess anything. I didn't go in to receive counseling. Good for you. It wasn't, there was nothing going on. It was completely on my terms. This is what's happening. What are you going to do? And um, I've actually used the phrase in the past, you know, you go to church and you're like, here I am, a child of God in front of you. Will you love me? Um, He was very good. Um, and in fact, we went through, we had to have an hour-long discussion about um, what is transgender. He didn't know. Uh, he went through all the things he could normally think of that you're supposed to talk to somebody about it, who is, was going to have their temple recommended. Is this happening? Is this happening? No, 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 no. Because yeah. <laughs> I don't see a problem. <laughs> wow. And I said, well, don't worry. Someone will. Yeah. And so I got a phone call from the stake president, and um, a couple months later, I went and had a meeting with him, and uh, that also went really well. I mean, he was very respectful, doesn't understand any of it. Um, In fact, he asked me, he goes, what should I call you? 
And I said, well, when I'm dressed and presenting as male, call me by my, the name you've always known. Um, and when I'm dressed as female, you can call me Valerie. And he, he latched onto that so tightly. He accidentally called me Brother Green. And he goes, oh, I'm so sorry. And he went back to the name. Because I told him, call me this, right. my old name. And he um, was trying so hard. I mean, I, it was, I mean, I think it was, it, like, I, I called it cute. <laughs> yeah, you know, his he, brain was trying to, oh, I got to get this yeah. right. At the same time, he had discussions upline and had been told that he, have to, he has to give me these restrictions on my membership. Um, all of which I had expected. I mean, I'd, I'd done my research. I knew what I was going to expect out of this meeting. So he gives me these restrictions to my membership. Um, you know, no temple recommend and um, no exercising the priesthood. Um, no using the bathrooms unless it's been cleared by a church leader. Mm. Um, what else do we have? No callings. I couldn't speak from the pulpit. It was everything that would normally be associated with someone who'd been um, not excommunicated, but disfellowship. Disfellowship. No, t no taking the sacrament. Except that. Yeah. So oh, we got the same punishment. Oh yeah. Yeah, go so, team. Yeah. Okay, we just did a high so, five. Yeah. So I, I, I got you, girl. <laughs> I totally understand what happened yeah, to you. So I, I, I was still good with the sacrament, but yeah. all the other things were gone. Right. The most painful of the of the of the things he gave me were I couldn't attend any of the Relief Society or priesthood meetings. Okay. So it was like... Can you just disappear after sacrament where we partake the bread and water and worship God? Can you just leave? Yeah, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. That makes sense. So, I was being sarcastic for my audience that doesn't yeah. know Jill Rowe was yeah, this Yeah, this was, this was still back in the time of three-hour church. Yeah. You know? So I would just leave after the second hour. Yeah. A couple of times I stayed and just sat. Oh, I, one time I stayed and sat because we were doing a linger longer afterwards. Mm. And so I was waiting for that because I brought food. We were right. going to go have dinner. Right. And so I'm just sitting outside. And that was the first time a sister came out of Relief Society and she was so mad about something that someone had said. And she comes out and just rants to me about it. And I'm like, I'm really sorry that happened to you, but this is so validating. <laughs> you know, as a as a man in the church, I would never have witnessed that rant. It would never have happened. But she came out and just laid it all right out. I'm like, I kind of like this. I'm so sorry, but I kind of <laughs> like this. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. So, uh, so church was different at that mm -hmm. point, and. Um, back to the meeting with the with the state president he gave me these restrictions and i said well when will these restrictions start mm -hmm. and he goes well i guess that would depend upon how you look mm. think about that wow and i'm like really because you aren't a child of god anymore if you look different yeah so i said well what would what what are the triggers and uh he said I said, what about right now? And I'd just come from work, you know, and I, at the time I was riding a motorcycle every day for work because I'm dressed in my, you know, heavy duty pants and stuff. <clears throat> but 
the, the, the first thing I did after my wife passed away was the following month I went and got my ears pierced for the first time. Because um, that was something that was off for less. That was the first thing. I'm, we're doing that right now. So at this point, I'm wearing just like steel studs in my ears. And I started letting my fingernails grow out longer and using clear nail polish because nobody notices, right? Mm-mm. No, <laughs> never. And so he looks at me and he goes, well, I see you have earrings, pierced ears. And he goes, I guess that wouldn't be a problem. And in my head, I'm going, what do you mean it's not a problem? That's always been a problem. We've heard it over the pulpit for yeah. a general conference. Well, maybe just because you had one hole each. You're maybe, good still. Maybe, yeah, it's only one. Isn't it funny, though, how a man can, like, interpret for you, like, yeah. your relationship with God, like, okay, well, because another leader would probably said the earrings have to go. Oh, yeah. But he's like, oh, I think those are okay. Yeah. Like, who are these people This is leadership judging roulette. us? This is leadership roulette. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So he says that, and he goes, well, I see you've got the earrings, um, and I see you have longer nails, and they've got polish on them. I guess between the two of those things, it would need to start as long as you appear that way. <laughs> and I'm sitting, I didn't say this to him, because he's being very nice. This is not, I am certain he did not want to do this. So he actually did have a problem with your ears and your nails. Right, it was the ears alone were not a problem. Oh, but you had nails. But I had nails. There were oh. two. There were two things. Yeah. And you know, with the voice, with the witness of two voices. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to even tell me, girl. Yeah. So he's um. <laughs> oh. He says, "I guess it would start right now. This is where you're going to appear." Mm. And this was in like September. And I said, "Well, fine. Then I'll just transition to church now." Yeah. You know, I'm not going to wait till January yeah, for that. Yeah, why are you doing this split yeah. role when you're already being disciplined? Yeah, so um, I just decided, fine. So I said, I'll, I'll call my bishop. I'll give him a two-week heads up so that he can have a discussion with the ward council. Mm-hmm. You know, again, a meeting they have once a month with all the leadership of the ward. Mm-hmm. And so they have a heads up. That's all we're going to do. And then I'll just start showing up. So we didn't tell anyone, except he, who he told in ward council. Um, and so that first day, I just showed up, and I showed up early. I spent the first year showing up like 15 minutes early to church after that because I wanted to make sure I got in and got a seat so that people had to choose to sit next to me, and I didn't have to go sit next to them and possibly offend them, right? So it was like early church. Get there early, sit in a position where it's not prominent but visible, and let them decide. What are you going to do? You know, it was kind of a subtle challenge. You know, what are you going to do? Where are you going to be? Um, I sat that first week, and every one of the ward leaders came over and um, told me they supported me. And... Um, it was actually very nice. I mean, each counselor, the bishop came over, police society came over, elders came over, everybody came over and just made sure I felt welcome. Um, and that was... Who sat by you? I don't remember anybody sitting by me. <laughs> I had to wreck <laughs> that tender moment. <laughs> no. No, but that's amazing. I mean... Yeah, but over time, there were families who would just sit next to me. Right. And I had really good conversations, you know. Especially the little kids who think they're talking to a to a woman, they will talk they will talk to a woman, not a man in church. 
showing me their art, you know, and having good conversations. Um, so yeah. Um, then there's there's a whole navigation of the church. That's another long story. Um, but it comes down to the members of our ward. Oh, about a month later, a, a couple comes back from vacation. They're speaking in church that week. And the husband gets up and he makes some comments about how, um, as a church, we need to be more welcoming to our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. And I'm like, where did that come from? Um, and this was the guy that I'd known for a while. And because when I was, as I had many different callings, for a long time I was the ward clerk and I did all the finances. And so he and I would spend a lot of time in the in the clerk's office because he was a membership clerk. Mm, counting money. <clears throat> counting money and people. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he and I got to know each other fairly well. And I also happened to be in love with his wife. Because the first time I met her, I fell in love with her. But she's married, you know, so. And she's also not lesbians. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Two things that get in the way. Two things get in the way. <clears throat> but I'd always admired her and loved her. Um, in fact, one time I, I think I actually told him, we she was teaching Sunday school and she's phenomenal. And I caught him in the hallway and I said, I hope you make sure every day that you're worthy of her in your life. <laughs> and he goes, yeah. he goes, yeah, I try. Um, I'm on it. Yeah, I'm on it. Um, anyway, um, he's he has that he gives that talk, and. I sent a note to them later in the day asking, did you do that because you knew I'd transitioned or what? And he goes, no, I had no idea you had transitioned. They've been gone for a month, maybe two, because she, um, she's a professor, a biology professor, and she and the family would go on these extended research trips and stuff. That may be where they were, I don't know. They've been gone for a little while. And he said, no, I had, not, I had no idea. And she talked to me later. She goes, yeah, we had no idea. She's, she's a very dear friend at this point. There's um, so many things that she has done to help integrate me into the women's spaces at church. Were you eventually, maybe I'm jumping ahead, able to go to Relief Society? Yes, and we'll, we'll, we can okay. get to that. There's so many. Because it so sounds like you have an incredible community that I, is supporting you and I making do. space for you. Mm -hmm. Um, so I I talked to her, and she told me that she was proud of our ward because it never got to them as gossip, mm. right? Right. And in fact, um, he sat down that day and had looked over and he said he thought he recognized me and she recognized that it was me the person that they'd always known um, but they didn't say anything um, but they were like oh this is new how exciting you know that this is this is the way she approaches it um, so the, yeah the ward didn't gossip about it now, I know things happened in the ward. I know that there was conversations. Um, I know that 
couples that actually fought about this. Like one of them was accepting, the other not, and it was a, it was a contentious thing in their own homes. So I know these things were happening. Right. Conversations were happening everywhere. Some of which I've been told about. Some of which I just kind of heard about through the grapevine. Um, but it was typically about yeah, this is something that's happening, and this is what needs to we need to love Valerie. Um, so yeah, I've had like one minor incident, two very two very minor incidents um, since transition. One, I had a guy who I had worked with when I was Elders Quorum president. He sent me a note and said that he could call me by my name. I'm like, well, that's nice because it's my legal name. <laughs> right. Thank you for that. But I would always be Brother Green to him. Mm. And so I just sent a message back and I said, well, I guess from now on we'll just always be on first term, a first name basis. Yeah, let's drop <laughs> yeah. the brother sister. We're done. Yeah. And funny part was he said, when I come back to church, that's what I'll do. Because he had not been at church for a long time because mm. his wife was working weekends and stuff. And then he moved away. So I never even saw him again. And then we had another brother who we were in Sunday school. And the teacher was harassing the people who sit on the wings you know, and don't get in the middle. And so he, she was kind of playfully rubbing him, ribbing him about being over in the, the main part of the, of the classroom. And he, uh, being the clown, he just jumps up and he goes, well, I guess I'll just go over and sit by, um, use my old name. And he comes over and sits next to me. You know, it's like, he's being, I'll just go sit here, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> and I sent him a note later that day. I said, I realized that this was what was going on. Um, I just want you to know that I never want to hear that name again. I'd appreciate if you never use it again. And he never has switched as soon as he knew that I needed that to happen he um, you know and you could have I don't know you could have human nature is when we get hurt we get angry right mm -hmm. and then we assume things and then it, it grows bigger and bigger and bigger right I love yeah. I love how you maneuver life like you just take care of it right then like yeah. I, I know that you were trying to be funny but do not you know and you set your boundaries too yeah. with your leaders like mm -hmm. whatever's gonna happen I'm doing this. Yeah. So balls in your court, whatever you decide to do. That's typically the way I approach a lot of things. And I also yeah. love your blessing where um, you were aware at that moment, like God has you. Like yeah. it's not wrapped up in this religion. It's not wrapped up in maybe I'm assuming too much in this, but I think that you can worship where you want to because the underlining thing is God has me. Yeah. No middleman. Yeah, that's the way. That's the way I've approached it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. It's really, really incredible. I'm uh, shout out to. I'm assuming some of your ward members will listen to this podcast. Shout out yeah. to them for welcoming Valerie. Um, so many of our queer siblings do not ha have this kind of experience when they come out. Definitely not. And probably well not probably more leave than stay because of the unwelcoming um, atmosphere and if I could be so bold not just our queer siblings are leaving but also families yeah, and that's a, the big difference in the last 10 years or so yeah families are saying not on my watch yeah and we're up and leaving um, because 
Yeah. It used to be more common to just kick the kick the member of the family out. Yeah. You know. Yeah, somehow you, you can't do this. You can't be here. Yeah, and then you could just keep your family intact. How we messed up is that? We can't we see with you in public <laughs> and that kind of thing. Yeah, so. yeah, you can come in, but you sneak into the back door, yeah. and you'll have 10 minutes, and then you have to leave. I mean, I've read all yeah. the church literature of how we oh, should yeah. navigate this, and it's very, very hurtful. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's not just our LGBTQ siblings that are leaving, it's families. And I remember in Prop 8 when I heard, like, oh, families are leaving the church over this. I was still a very black and more white Mormon, did not know I had a gay child. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I just can't even believe how people would leave the church. Like, their testimonies may not be very strong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, God's taught me, like, many good people are leaving the church, and it's not anything about their testimony. Right. It's... um for me personally, I felt like God finally gave me, because I stayed for like 10 years to try to be mm-hmm. the change, like gave me permission to leave so I could heal. Yeah. Which is such a sad commentary, but. Well, and I I, I often describe it as, because you have to separate a couple of things. You have to separate gospel from institution. Yeah. And you have to separate policy from doctrine. Yeah. And when you do that and you recognize that the gospel is good. Yeah. But the infrastructure, the um, everything else, yeah, everything else. That, the <laughs> should be that, so bold. Everything else. The things that men have done to implement it. Yeah. The institution itself. Yeah. Has problems, you know, and it, the leaders will always say that. Right. They don't necessarily they do. act that way. Yeah. Um. But there's always change. I mean, we're yeah. we're based on continuing revelation, right? Yeah. So do we believe it? <laughs> you know, do I don't we know. Because I got my own revelation on this, and I was yeah. disciplined for it. So I I heard that many times from other so, many stories. You know, you know, it's only if it lines up with someone else. So, but I'm happy for you. Yeah. I mean, seriously. I mean, we need we need individuals that feel safe in their mm-hmm. congregation and that. If that's, you know, where you find peace and you want to worship, it makes me so happy that you have a home that you can, you know. And I'm not sure if your story would be that wonderful. Um, Lots of stories we hear in this room and 99% are not not that wonderful. (laughs) And so you're very lucky. And um, Oh, I I live like a Cinderella life, you know. I should say very lucky. It's like that sounded weird. But, you know, just. I know know exactly what you mean. When you transition to just be. You're in your same hometown. Mm-hmm. You're going to your same ward. You're, mm-hmm. you know, all your circle of friends are, I'm and you have job. it, and you still play tennis. Yep. I can't get you to play pickleball, which is no. so <laughs> offensive. Like, come on, that is like the sport of 2022. No pickleball. Pickleball's been around since the 60s, and I'm never going to play it. Oh, you are. I'm <clears> going <throat> to come get you tomorrow. And I'm going to force you. <laughs> but, you know, just your whole tra- whole transition. I think, first mm-hmm. of all, what I heard from your story is that you took the power and you told everybody under, you know, people go into their leaders because they want advice. Mm-hmm. It's one of our my husband and I's biggest regret. Why do we ever go to our leaders? Mm-hmm. You went to your leaders to set boundaries and say, this is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I just need to know what you're going to do about it yeah. so that you can navigate from there. Well, I just love you. That's Thanks. all. Yeah. Now we're real friends, not just Facebook friends. <laughs> My kids always say, they're not really your friends, Mom. Oh, yes, we are. I'm like, yeah, they, we're friends. It just like takes a long time to finally meet them in life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I met one earlier today that I've 
been friends with for years. Yeah. And today was the first time we actually met in public. Yeah. In life, in real life. So. Social media has some really yeah. good purposes for it. Yeah. Um, so before we close this podcast, um, I asked Valerie if she would talk to the Human Stories audience about um, transgender women in sports. Hot topic in Utah. I'm sure it's a hot topic everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. But I think we're really... We don't have all the information we need to make a judgment on that. Right. When you start to transition, do you want to share with the audience like what happens to you physically and also talk about the sport aspect like because you have been a tennis player your whole life? Right. So um, I normally talk about transition happening in four stages. Okay. Um, I think there's four. Sometimes I add another one. We're going to find out when you say them. So there's... Um, <laughs> there's Social transition. Okay. Um, when you simply start presenting to the world as who you are. Right. There's legal transition where you go through all the process of changing all the stuff. Right. So that you are you can walk into the TSA. Right. With the right passport. And you can fly and, right and go to yeah. different countries and, yeah, live. There's medical transition, um, which involves hormones. Um for male to female, it means generally suppressing testosterone and introducing estrogen. And there are various ways of doing that that people work out with their own endocrinologist. Then there's surgical transition where modifications are made to the body to bring them into congruence with who you are. Um, I've gone through all of those. Um, thank heavens. Uh, Again, it was like I was 11 when I found out that it was possible. Until then, it was just, it was just a dream. No, I'll never get to do this. And, and you were looking at sort of a famous person, so they could do yeah. it, but that's never going to come across my right. yeah. yeah lifetime. So, but, so I was excited about that. But anyway, so we get down to the changes that happen. Um, so some of the most significant changes happen from the hormones. So as you start suppressing the... Uh, testosterone, um, your body starts starts growing less hair, for instance. You start losing muscle mass. Um, your skin change Estrogen, adding estrogen in, you want your skin changes. It becomes thinner. Mm. Um, and then you go read things like, oh, this is why women always complain about it being cold in offices because offices have always been... For men. For men. And so that's why all the women are wearing sweaters and the men are walking around in short sleeves, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but they're... they're in, in, and it's not just misogynistic reasons. There are physiological reasons why. When it's been made comfortable for men, it's uncomfortable for women. So I'm going through all of that. In fact, a friend of ours, my one of my daughter's friends in high school came to visit, and she came over just to chat. And as she was leaving, she gave me a hug. And she said, oh, my God, your skin is so soft. And I was wearing a tennis top, so I had bare shoulders and stuff. And I said, I said, yeah, that's the hormones. She goes, really? And I said, oh, yeah, it's, your, your skin just becomes so much softer. Um, at the same time, you start losing muscle mass, so you lose a lot of your strength. I don't know how much I've actually lost. 
because most of it would be manifested um, in my sports activities. But I've played so much more tennis than I after I transitioned than I ever did before. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, that my skill has gotten better, so I don't know where my muscle or my um, physical strength has dwindled, but with the increase in my skill level from so much play, they kind of cancel each other out. Or I don't know what I don't know what the net change is. Um, so, but yeah, there are definitely changes. I, mean, I, I know I've, I've gotten thinner. Um, I went into my endocrinologist one day and she goes, she goes, I can feel your collarbones, like all my bones around my upper, uh, upper part of my torso are more pronounced. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately for male to female transitioners, it does nothing for your voice. And I hate my voice, <laughs> but I haven't been willing to really work on it the way some others have. I like your voice. Oh, thank you. Just so you know. Okay. And I'm really honest with yeah. people. Ask Thanks. my kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, whereas women, um, not women, but um, people transitioning from female to male, mm -hmm. they take testosterone and it will deepen their voice. Right. They get that right. benefit. Um, do, you, do you feel like, getting back to the whole debate about yeah. transgender women in sports, yeah. I mean, do you feel like you... Had an you have an advantage? I have been concerned that people would perceive that. Mm -hmm. And in fact, when I first started playing the USTA, let's, let's talk about sports for a minute. So my aunts taught me to play tennis when I was like eight years old. And I love playing tennis. That was always my presence for tennis based. I would get new racket covers and things like that. Um, but I never played organized tennis. I've never coached or, any, or had any kind of competitive environments, always with friends, but I loved it. And then when we got into middle school, they had tennis classes and they kind of had a team. And of course, right after I got involved with that, we moved to a school that had nothing like that. Mm -hmm. um, I remember going to PE class. We had a tennis section in PE class in Sweetwater, Texas. And Nobody knew how to play tennis, and I had some inklings, so I had to get the teacher to hit with me for the things he had to do for the class because nobody else could, and I was just bored out of my mind, and it was frustrating to, to play with people who had never had an interest in it and therefore had no skill in it. Right. Went to high school, and they had a tennis team, so I'm like excited, so I Tennis was one of my classes during the day. I was going to be on the tennis team. And then we moved again. Mm. Moved to, to Missouri and new high school, no tennis team. So I found a friend who played. Um, and He lived across the street from the tennis courts, from the park. So we would go play every chance we got. And this was the era of John McEnroe and Bjorn Borg. And, of course, I loved Bjorn Borg because he was stoic, you know, and highly skilled and just fluid on the court. And McEnroe was a boisterous, loud person, the, the emotional person. Broke rackets. Yeah. And I could not stand him. Mm -hmm. Whereas my friend loved McEnroe. Mm -hmm. So we, we kind of tended to play that way on the court. A little role playing. Yeah. 
but we would also um, go out and sweep the snow off the courts to play. Um, we would, so we'd play every day if we could, as often as we could. And we'd go out in the middle of the summer and we would start in the winter, we would start with warm-ups on, you know, all the stuff and play and just keep shedding clothes until we're down just our shorts, you know, because we're so hot. Yeah. It's 30 degrees outside. <laughs> so we played a lot. And then I kind of got married. And then I kind of dropped it for about 10 years and play any tennis, didn't even pay attention to the sport. Because I was too busy building a career and yeah. starting the family, all yeah, the things. five kids yeah. and a wife. So all that was going on. So I didn't do that for a while. And then we moved to St. Louis. And I found out that, I don't know if he was a bishop at the time, um, but he loves tennis. He grew up playing tennis. His parents had a tennis court in their backyard. Mm. Um, and he loved it and he played with his kids. And so I got invited to the playing that they would do sometimes. And it just turns out that we just graduated to this point where we play every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. As long as it's above 40 degrees, <laughs> the courts are dry and it's below 90 degrees. So we, and we've been doing that for over 25 years. Oh, okay. So that, that, and I, at some point it was so bad, I would have days and I'd walk off the court and go, why do I even do this anymore? I'm so terrible at this, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we, we, play, we played a lot. And that was mostly what I did. And then I eventually, a few years after that, I found some clinics in the area and I would go play in those. They were small, um, like every other week and you'd, you'd go play doubles and singles, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a team competition. There was no instruction. This I, is when you're still married. I'm still married. Um, and again, so there's, it's a time obligation with all the right. family and stuff, so it's tough. So I would do that for a while. And then um, it was time to transition. And I thought, when I transition, I'll lose tennis in my life. I thought, who's going to want to play with me anymore? And uh, so the guy I played with on Saturdays, my former bishop, uh, he... Uh, he, he was actually told, he's the one person, he and his wife were the two, one couple in the ward who knew that I was transgender before anybody else because she was dogged in her questioning about why I'd gotten my ears pierced. And at first I just told her I always wanted to do it. And then she was asking one more time and I said, okay, look, we were at dinner. And um, I said, I can give you the answer that leads to more questions where I can give you the simple answer. Because I want the answer that leads to more questions. I'm like, okay, great. So I'm transgender, and uh, this is part of me expressing who I am in ways that I can. And uh, she was so sweet. She goes, well, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's something else. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I've known about this for 50 years. I'm pretty certain that I know what's going on. But it was very nice. I looked over at him, and he was just had his, his I mean, like on on your knees, the jaw dropped, you know. He's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> anyway, so they knew. They never told anybody. Yeah. Um, but um, 
the following year when I decided to fully transition, at the end of one of our Saturday morning matches, I said, um, hey, remember when I told you last year that I'm transgender? Yeah. I am fully transitioning on January 1, 2019. And I really want to know if you'll still want to play tennis. And he said, um, I don't see why not. We're just playing tennis. And I was so grateful. I don't know that he understood how important that was. Maybe he did, I don't know. But it was, um, at that moment, I thought maybe I'll be able to continue to play. At least I'll be able to play against there. And, but I was thinking, okay, so that takes us into the summer. You know, we'll get to play again in you know, late spring. But Missouri is strange, so we have 70 degree weather sometimes in January. So we wound up playing on January 2nd or 3rd that year. And uh, I called him up and I said, remember, I'm going to look different. He goes, that's, that's fine with me. So that was one of my first Facebook postings was like, here are my silhouettes of me dressed correctly now on a tennis court. You know, just pictures of my, of my shadow finally in a tennis skirt, you know, so much happier. Yeah. Um, so that that was the first thought that maybe I can continue to play. So then I went and talked to um, the woman who runs a bunch of the small weeknight league things that I'd done some of, and I asked her, I said, do you have any place for me on your women's teams? And she said... Um, my best bet was to go to USTA. Um, her, her groups were full and stuff. She goes, but USTA has very good transgender policy. So I went and looked it up, and actually I thought about it, because I thought USTA is usually played on Sundays. So this meant I have to go to play on Sundays, and this was still a thing in my head. Um, but I, so I called up the USTA office, and I said, hey, uh, transgender woman, I want to know what spots or what you might have available for someone who's a transgender woman to play women's tennis. And their question was, do you prefer doubles or singles? <laughs> I said, I'm definitely a singles player. She goes, oh, we always have, we're always in need of singles players. That was all. That was it. And so then... She contacted a couple of captains, and one of the captains um, contacted me. So we'd love to have you on our team. Um, and we correspond a little bit because I'm still got this in my head. People are gonna think there's an advantage. They're gonna be upset about it. What's gonna happen? And I expressed that to her. I said I'm just concerned about people thinking about concepts of unfairness. And she sent a note back. She said, "You will never have to defend your position on my team, ever." Um, and that was so thankful to get that message. And then I joined the team, and it was just accepted. Um, it was after one of my first matches. One of my team members, she walked up to me after my match. We, we, we both played singles that day, and we're watching the doubles at the other end of the courts. And she says... Um, how open are you about? I said, I'm completely open. If we have a discussion, we can have a talk. And she goes, okay, good. 
I wanted to thank you. Um, I have a transgender sibling who's having a hard time, and I'm so grateful that I can go to them and say, look, we have this woman on our team outliving her life, enjoying the things that she loves to do, living openly as a transgender person. And I'm so glad to be able to go back and tell them that, and give them you, give them that example for them to see what life can be like. And um, again, I, I live a life that is so blessed and lucky. Um, rich, rich with incredible humans. Mm -hmm. That I feel obligated. <laughs> yeah but definitely by choice to do what I can to provide example and to help those, especially those who have had to spend their energy surviving. Um, can't go help everyone. You know, you want to go out and just help everyone, but you know, who has the money and the time and all of that. For, yeah. But to be there when somebody has a question or wants to know what to do. Um, but we were talking about sports. So I play tennis, join the USTA. I play so much more tennis than I ever played in my life. I currently play five or six match, competitive matches a week. Um, Do you win every game? Absolutely not. <laughs> so so here, here's the, the thing that I loved about tennis that makes it easier. And they have a policy for um, both professional and amateur players. And they don't require the amateur players to do anything except declare that they are female and play. Um, professionally, you have to have hormone therapy, and, it, and they don't spell it out explicitly, but they say these things have to happen, and if you play as a, diff as a different gender than you were before, you can't change it for four years. Um, and if you do, you're, just, you're sanctioned from, from playing again for at least a year, things like that. Um, theirs is more liberal than most places. Um, and you'd think with such a liberal policy, you'd see transgender players everywhere, but you don't. Mm -mm. Um, because people don't transition to play sports. No. People transition to live. And then they happen to play sports because that's what they love to do. Yeah. Um, and I've had a couple of incidents with, with tennis. I had... So anyway, so I play USTA. I play on two leagues a week, typically. And um, then I've played another <coughs> local league called Gladiator that I would play for a while. And then we played World Team Tennis, which is a completely different format. And I was shocked when I have people calling and inviting me to play in their teams. Um, now, you, you play at rated levels. So when I started, I went to the same professional I talked to who told me to go to USTA. And she took me out on the court and she gave me what she thought I should be. She was, I think you're a rusty 3.5. And the ratings go from 2.5 in half level increments up to seven. If you're a seven, you're on the world tour. So she said, you're a rusty 3.5. And um, when, so when you go to the USTA, you get a professional to kind of rate you and then you go in at that level, and then they evaluate your results throughout the year. And at the end of the year, they, they give you a computer rating that says you go up or down or stay the same. 
So you're always playing with people of your same level. Yeah, so you're playing with the same level or people that might want to play up a level. Mm -hmm. So I played a lot of I played a lot of tennis that first year. 170 matches are recorded, I think, that first year. And I won 85 to almost 90% of those. To the point where my captain was concerned that I would get DQ'd. If you go in and you're self-rated like I was that first year, if you win too many matches um, by too much of a margin, mm -hmm. you can get DQ'd, bumped up a level, and all your matches go away. But... Um, I was not the highest rated player in the, in the area. Um, I had a lot of wins, but I didn't have any more wins than the other top players in the area. Um, and at the end of the year, I got bumped up from 3.5 to 4.0. And my results immediately went to about 50-50. <laughs> so you were, just, yeah. you were just placed in the wrong category was, in the beginning. Was, well, and, and as I played so much, I got better right. at doing it just because I'd never played competitively. I'd never played yeah. these types of players. Because humans get better when we practice. Yeah. So I, it was part of my growth that I was going through. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was exciting. I mean, I would sometimes feel, now we, we play teams and there are five courts every time the team has a match. Two singles courts and three doubles courts. And I would look at the results and I would go, oh good, today we won four and one. We won four courts. Because I would always feel worried that someone would be upset because we went, we won three and two and I won my match. Mm. And I'd be like, oh, well, Valerie won her match. No wonder that's why they won that one. So I was always just a little wary about what somebody might think. Um, despite no one ever saying a word to me about it, we had, I've only had two bad incidents on a court. I weren't even bad. We were at sectional championships and a woman, um, we, we played our match, I won. And then later an official came over and found me watching another match and said, and I happened to know her. Um, she's actually on one of my teams. And she goes, I have some unpleasant business to discuss. Um, we've had a gender challenge to your play. And I said, oh, okay, let's go fix it. <laughs> and so we went over and I said, here's my passport. Here's my driver's license. Here's my latest lab reports. Um, showing everything in female ranges, standard female ranges, estrogen, testosterone, everything. Um, and so she gathered that. She got the transgender policy from the UST website. They sent it in. It came back less than five minutes. Yeah, eligible to play, no problem. I don't know what they're complaining about. And um, the captain, had, who had lodged the request on behalf of one of her players, even said that she didn't want to do it, but she had to because her player requested it. Yeah. And I said, please tell that captain and that player that no ill will. I completely understand why um, this might have been a concern for you because you don't know the differences in a transgender female player and having a man on the other side of the court, what it's really like. And of course, I, and then I go look up the ratings because I, I know what our ratings are. And the USTA only tells you at the end of the year what your new rating is going to be. 
but there are other websites that track the data from the USTA, and they'll give you a week-by-week adjustment to your rating. It's a very dynamic rating. And I looked them up. I looked up hers and looked up mine, and I'm like, based upon our rating differences, this is exactly what the score should have been. Mm. So there was nothing unusual about what happened. Right. Um, so that was that was the end of that. I've never had any other problems with that. Um, then I was in a different league. Um, I had one woman finally in our conversation of the net between games figured out that I was transgender and decided to quit. She refused to continue to play with me. Mm. So I'm like, okay, fine. I sent a note to the league coordinator and I said, never schedule me against her again. And he did once, and so I just defaulted that match. Mm. But I never heard any other words about it. But her, his response to her was, She's rated properly. This is where she's supposed to be. Right. So, but that's that's been it. Again, I've been completely blessed. I mean, most people have more problems than that with just their general play. Forget about whether they're transgender yeah. or not. I mean, I do watch like tennis is your world and you have yeah. such an incredible group of women that you yeah. play with yes. and it's part of your life. And I think yeah. that's important for we're going to debate about this just think about the well-being of a people of humans oh, yeah. like if you want to play a sport you should be able to play a sport yeah you know um it's 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 been your lifeline like yeah. your thing that you love mm-hmm. and it it was from a very young age and now that you yeah. now you can really take it to the court yeah <laughs> pickleball court no oh shoot i almost had her she no. was like she was like all like every word was so important to her. She said pickleball no pickleball. Pickleball. <laughs> I'm going to start sending you videos every day. Oh, pickleball. I see them all the time. Trust me. They show up on Facebook constantly. I know. I know because it's And a I true look at sport. them and go, oh, that's awful. It's a true sport. <laughs> You're just not old enough yet. Maybe. Someday, because my mom yeah. and dad play tennis their whole lives, and now yeah. they're like totally into pickleball. Yeah. 90 and 91. They can do whatever they want. I'm thinking I'll transition from singles to doubles, and that's the that's Oh, that's, that's it. Yet. That's your boundary. Yeah, I... <laughs> I didn't ever play doubles until <sighs> the 55 and over league is only doubles. Oh, okay. So when I got to that level, in fact, we were, we were having lunch after one of our matches, and the captain looked at me. She goes, when do you turn 55? And I said, in two weeks. She mm. goes, you're on our team. <laughs> you grabbed her. They yeah. grabbed you right away. Yeah. Well, I think it's important for our Human Stories audience, you know, before you start debating, maybe get some information about transgender athletes and the things that they have to do and the way they have to navigate Mm -hmm. to be, you know, qualified to compete, particularly at a very competitive level. I like how your league just puts you in how good you are and should be enough, right? Like, and like you said, you know, you win, you, you don't win every every no. game which is disappointing to me I, it's disappointing to me you too you need to keep trying <laughs> keep trying you know, and there was a time when I was like oh I didn't win I'm good yeah. and now it's just like uh. you know I lost uh, Sunday yeah oh because you played on no. Sunday okay and that made that me uncomfortable a, and Tuesday morning so I won the first <laughs> four, I won the first six matches of the current season yeah this is the 18 and over leagues which means I wind up playing these 20 year old kids oh wow yeah teach them a lesson that's fun. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I just can't run as fast as they can. <laughs> Sometimes I just walk to my car. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has been such a pleasure to have you here, Valerie, to hear Thank your you. personal story. Um, gosh, amazing. Amazing humans in your life from 
your kids, to your ward members, to your community, to your ladies club, and um, talking a little bit about your tennis life. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, yeah, amazing episode, right? Thanks. Yeah. So I've I've been very lucky, very blessed, and um, I mean struggles. Yeah. Are they there? Yeah, they are. But yeah. overall, I just call it a Cinderella story. I'm very thankful for it. So. I love it. Cinderella. Mm-hmm. Well, Human Stories audience, I feel like you should, after you listen to this, share it with, you know, three, four, or five people have them sub- subscribe to the podcast. Um, these stories in my imagination and my desire is they're going to go to the whole universe. Like, if humans will listen to other people's stories... That's how we become better because we understand each other and we can, I don't know, just become better humans all around, right? Yes, definitely. So let's do that. And thanks again, Valerie. And this is Human Stories with Jill Hazard-Rowe.